Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, what's up, everybody? You guys give Jesus your best real, real quick. Come on, would you give him one more? Just round of praise. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for restoring today. Lord, we thank you for restoring our mind. We know we would have lost our mind if it wasn't for you. We would have lost our life if it wasn't. Lord, you've restored so many things. You've guarded us when we didn't even know it. The Bible says you've gone before us. You've gone behind us. You've protected us. Lord, I thank you for just divine protection. I thank you for divine restoration today. We give you all the glory and, and, and honor and praise, Jesus, for all, the, all of what you're doing. You make all things new. And so we receive that today in Jesus' name. Amen? Uh, we had an awesome day yesterday. We had uh, uh, Serve Knock Saturday. Come on, everybody that served our community yesterday, would you give yourself a hand? Thank you for serving. And uh, thanks for being a church that goes out and serves the community. And so that was, I just want to give a shout out. We served our community. We had a lot of people that are coming as regulars now to our food pantry and things like that. And, and so just loving on our, our area, we're going to be the church. It's not enough to go to church. How I many know, you know that? We need to be the church. And so thanks for being the church. We are in a series called Fire, Fire Away. And so last week we tackled uh, uh, some things around alcohol. Uh, some people got upset. Some people didn't. You know, some people are like, this is the best church in the world. Some people are like, you know, I don't know. Here's my intention on this series. Listen, I didn't, I didn't invent these questions. Y'all did, okay? So, so I, I don't have some agenda up here like to try to, I'm going to tell you what I believe and kind of where I stand, um, but it's not an agenda series. Like you ask the questions, and so uh, sometimes just to even answer some of these questions can be awkward because we don't go around like living this way daily. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't go around trying to uh, put this framework necessarily around all my actions. Some of it's just I live this way, right? And so we want to look at the Bible. We want to answer these questions and um, and just bring a biblical perspective. I would say this, the things that we're answering are non-essentials. Um, and so, so the, a, a great theologian said years ago, in the essentials we have unity, in the non-essentials we have liberty, and in all things we show love. So, so the, the church has got so divided because someone asked one of the questions, why is the church so divided? Why is there so much division? Well, division means more than one vision. And so many people make non-essentials essential, and then we get divided over that when we can have one vision around Jesus, virgin birth, God, coming back from, from the dead, and, and we'll return again. Does that make sense? So, I mean, there's some, there's some essentials uh, that we need to surround ourselves around. Um, a couple quick questions. Somebody asked me this morning on the way in, they're like, what about social media and how to use that with teenagers? That, that's like an eight-part series. And so... Um, I, I, I would, this just hit my heart. There's a church called Creative Church, um, and I think they're in, in Ohio, Creative Church. Um, you can look that up online. They have a course uh, for social media. Like, how, like, you know how you have to take a course to get your driver's license? They have an actual, like, 12-week course for teenagers and, and middle school and teenagers. They, they've established it in their community as a ministry, and it's a course. So I would encourage you. That's a great resource. Some, some things I don't necessarily have the answer to, but I have resources I can point you to. So, so there's some great resources called uh, Creative Church around social media. Uh, someone asked me what one of my favorite childhood memories wa wa was. You know, I, I was like, well, that's an interesting question. I started going down memory lane. Um, one of my, I loved, uh, when I, got a, I got a brand new bike, my first brand new bike. Come on, anybody. I got a mongoose, mongoose bike. And uh, mom didn't have a lot of money, single, single parent. And so, you know, when I got that bike, I think she, my, her parents helped pitch in, but I remember getting that bike. And then I would cane, full, uh, cane pole uh, fish 
well, with my grandparents all the time for Brim in, in, near Atlanta. So that was a good memory. Uh, another question, what was one of the biggest things I've seen God do, like one of the most encouraging things I've seen God do at times? I've seen God do so many miracles, guys. I mean, um, you know, I, that's why I'm on my face down here and hands in the air and worshiping, uh, abandoned, because I've seen how much God's done in my life. Uh, but one of the most amazing miracles that, that's marked me to this day, and some of you have heard the story, but uh, I saw a, uh, in 2003, I believe, 2004 maybe, uh, I saw a young eight-year-old boy named Anthony in DeSoto, Texas, um, have an Acts chapter 8 experience as we went to his house praying and fasting, and uh, a demon came out of him with loud shrieks and, and shrills. It's, it's written in Acts chapter 8. It talks about that when the apostles went there, that demons came out with loud shrieks and shrills. So I heard this young eight-year-old boy, I heard this demon come out of him at his living room table, and, uh, and, and the instantly when that happened, he was set free and healed of, of, of chronic asthma where he couldn't breathe or go outside. It was this, uh, you know, I heard the Holy Spirit say, rebuke the spirit of infirmity attached to his lungs. And so I didn't even know what that meant. It's not my language. You know, I don't talk about spirits of infirmity. You know, I don't do that. And so I, the Holy Spirit said, rebuke the spirit of infirmity attached to his lungs. His mom was standing there. Long story. I rebuked that, and I heard this loud shriek and squeal. I wouldn't do it. I'm not going to do it here because it will give you goosebumps on the back of your neck. But, but that, that happened, and so then he set free. And then, and then we prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The young boy gets filled with the Holy Spirit, starts praying in other tongues, laying on the floor, uh, filled up. And uh, I see him next week in church. He comes up, hugs me, says I'm his best friend that he's ever met. You know, it's kind of, kind of a cool experience. So um, that was awesome. And I got, I got probably 100 stories like that. So if you, don't, if you don't have a lot of stories like that, then you need to get in your word. You need to get in your Bible. Like, you need to read the Bible, believe it, and go. Like, when people say, why don't we see all that stuff? Because you ain't going. Because I'm not going. You know, two-thirds of God is go. And so I'm not trying to judge you. Look, I haven't seen a lot of those stories in my life in the last few, you know. You know, it's like I'm con- I get convicted too. Like I'm not the one just trying to, you know, I get convicted. The Holy Spirit's like, you ain't seeing any of that stuff right now. I'm like you better go, you know. And so, and so, you know, I'm, I take this same stuff in for my life, and I think it's powerful when we're a go church. Um, all right, so big question today. I've got about 30 minutes to answer this. I believe it's going to help some marriages and some life and church. The question was, what are, what are women's role in preaching and teaching, and there's some verses specifically 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, and Paul has some verses in Corinthians, um, and so what are, what are women's role in this? Again, I, you know, our church kind of lives this out. We don't put these, these kind of confines on us and talk about this all the time, but since the question came in, we'll kind of share, and we've had, we, you know, a couple years ago, you know, people in the community are like, oh, that's that church with women pastors, you know, oh, that's that church with women preachers, you know, there's a, there's this, weird, you know, I'm like, yeah, we are, you know, so so, and the question that came in was like, hey, I was a little uncomfortable according to scripture. Was it just cultural? A very great question. Was it just cultural that Paul was talking to or, or what is it? And so I'm going to teach you today, stay engaged with me. And um, I want to look at the aspect of the Trinity um, because again, I told you last week, we get our definition of who God is from God. We don't define who he is because our culture says who he is. We don't define who God is and what God's about because of what's happening around us in society. We don't have a societal theology. We have a biblical theology. Does that make sense? And so, and so we're going to look at God and the Godhead. We're going to look at uh, Scripture, and then we're going to look at just some practical pastoral thoughts. Um, and and any time, let me say this. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. 
You can go grab a scripture, and you, if you want to prove something to yourself and everybody else, you can. This is my new favorite statement. There's two miles of ditch down every mile of highway. Every mile of road has two miles of ditch. And so we can easily get off into the ditches and, and make, you know, and get extremes. But, but I, I want us to look at the whole counsel of God's scripture, the whole counsel of his will. You have to look at all of the Pauline writings, not just one or two verses. Does that make sense? So um, I think women are called to preach and teach and prophesy and pastor and lead and do anything God calls them to do. Can we get a good amen on that? Okay. Amen. I also believe there are unique interpersonal roles for men and women inside of marriage and the church. And God speaks to it all through the scriptures. And so I think there are guidelines for, for husbands and wives in marriage. I think there's guidelines uh, for governance in the church. And I think uh, the scriptures show that. And so here's four views of, of women's role in, in, at home and in church in our biblically and in society. And, and where does this all fit? So there's the traditional view we talked about last week. Uh, woman stays at home, cooks barefoot and uh, makes the big piece of meatloaf for the husband that comes home and gets, I get the big piece of meatloaf at the end of the table. That's obviously junk. It's ridiculous. And we, it's nonsense, right? Um, there's a progressive view in culture and of progressivism where there are no roles. There's everything's equal. There's nobody is in charge of anything. And, um, and, 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 and progressive views change every, every couple years, maybe. And you can't really get anybody to agree on what it fully is. And it changes. And I believe that that, that view is also non-biblical. It's as much nonsense as, as the traditional view is nonsense. Does that make sense? I know some of y'all are like, I don't know. But, but it, uh, if you're just reading the Bible, and so I think that's real. Then there's biblical egalitarianism. I shared, that's a big word, but it just means this, that, that, that God is equal as God, but there are no roles in God. There's, no one's in charge. They're, they're all equal. They're just equal. They're, it's called the social trinity that's flat. No one's in charge of anybody. And so then you get bib- biblical egalitarianism, and then extrapolated from that, you get egalitarian uh, churches where they believe that everybody's just equal. There's no one in charge. There's no differences in roles in that area. So, so about 2,000 years of church history, 2,000 years of cultural insight, they believe different. They believe something called complementarianism. Um, and so there's different levels of extremity in that. But uh, I think there's some biblical proof for that. So biblical complementarianism where men and women are equal creatively and redemptively. So our value comes from creation. We're in the imago Dei. We're in the image of God. And so all of my value and all of your value is intrinsic from the image of God that we're created in. But we do have unique design and unique differences. And that is what society is trying to destroy and get away with and, and, and do away with. And so I think that there are some very redemptively, obviously, um, there's redemptive value, but there's distinct roles. We're not meant to compete. We're meant to complement. We're, we're meant to complete, not compete. And I'm going to go into the book of Genesis in, some, in a little bit and show you why we compete and why what's happening in culture is happening. It started in the book of Genesis. It started at the curse, at the fall of mankind, and I'll get into that in a minute. So um, God is, 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 if we look at God in the Trinity, we have to get our belief system from that, right? And so I shared it quickly last week, but God is three persons, three distinct personalities, but one substance. Three distinct personalities, but three distinct functions. So God is co-equal, but, and he's co-eternal uh, in his substance, but there are diversities of functions and roles even in the Godhead. So, so what do I mean by that? The Father is first among equals, and this is not 
Listen, again, this, this, is, this is just Bible. The Father, I'm going to give you scriptures. The Father in the scriptures is first among equals. They're all equal, but they're different. The Father, all through the book of John, there's these interpersonal dynamics. Uh, the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain and shows us this dynamic between Jesus and the Father and then the Holy Spirit in their prayers. And in 1 John 1.14, or John 1.14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus was begotten of the Father. Jesus was sent by the Father. The Father wasn't sent. Jesus was sent. The Holy Spirit wasn't sent. I mean, the Holy Spirit was sent. The Father wasn't sent. John 5, 15. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most surely I say to you, listen to this. This is Jesus. This is God. Co-equal. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. John 5, 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. So all I'm doing is trying to establish um, uh, a complementarian economy within the Trinity. Does that make sense? Uh, Many people for 2,000 years believed there was an economy within the Trinity. Now, the other view is that there is no economy. There's no one that's higher or or lower. And again, it's not a hierarchy. It's it's a different function and role. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? And so the Holy Spirit says it, John 16, 13, it says the Spirit does nothing, speaks nothing on his own authority. So again, we see it in the Father, we see it in the Son, we see it in the Holy Spirit. So there's this theological equality, this Christian equality, not based on, listen to me, important, not based on function. There's a, there's a theological equality, not based on function, based on intrinsic value in creation. And so, so men, and women, men, men and women are creative, redemptively, equal, but there are distinct roles and functions. Here's where everybody takes one verse, the egalitarians take one verse and kind of equal everything out. Galatians 3, 27 through 28, Paul says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And so the view that there is nobody in charge and it's all equal comes from this verse, and they believe this is the biblical arch where everything lands. It is. It is the biblical arch where everything lands. But the context is salvation. They were, they were bragging about salvation, like, well, I'm a Jew, and so I, I'm, I've got preference with God, or I'm a Gentile. You rejected the, uh, God. We, we, got, we received God. Oh, I'm, I'm a slave. Oh, I'm free. Oh, we get the gospel. Oh, you're a male. You're a female. There was these boastings going on in salvation of who deserves salvation. And Paul says, no, 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 that's ridiculous. No one can boast about salvation. We're all one in Christ. And so there there is this this unity. But when Jesus is asked about marriage, and and I'm going to get into this probably when I teach on um, sexual order, and and I don't even even like to say homosexuality. A lot of people ask the question about LGBTQ community. So I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to, take, I'm going to tackle that. Y'all should be praying for your pastor. Come on. I, I've been getting every, I mean, these aren't easy topics to tackle, right? Again, we love everybody. These aren't, these aren't issues. These are people, right? All of, and so we don't say, home, it's not about a homosexuality. It's about sexual disorder so, so, or, or out-of-order sexuality. That's not just applied to a homosexual community or a transgender community. Or That applies to straight people, gay people, all people, married people, single people. There's, there's disordered sexualities, right? And so I'm going to ta- tackle that. But, but this is what Jesus says when, he, when they ask him about marriage in Genesis 1, he goes back, Mark 10, 6, 
he quotes Genesis 1.26. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It, it means that they were opposites but similar. They were of the same substance, same species, but had differences. Male means not female. <laughs> Amen. Uh, trust the science. That's, I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. I'm, be, I'm just being, female means not male. Jesus, God, our creator, our creator, went back to this verse when he was asked about marriage. He said, let me go to before the fall, pre-sin, let me give you an explanation of what, what marriage is. And he goes, hey, God created them male and female. There's nothing wrong with femininity and masculinity. It's not toxic, neither side. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Think about this. Paul says, I think we'll have it on the screen, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Paul says, be watchful. Stand fast. It's the, wrong, it's the wrong translation. In the ESV, it says, be strong here, but it says, or be brave. In the, in the ESV, in, the real, in, in a very accurate translation, it says, act like men. Be strong. Stand firm. Act like men. So, so there's something about masculinity that Paul encourages. There's beautiful things about femininity. So what I want to look at, what I'm doing here, I want to look at the Trinity, and then I want to look at actual Jesus talking about gender roles, distinct functions in those roles, and, and what Paul says about it, it's not toxic. Jesus still quotes it in Genesis 1 and 2. God reaffirms there's a good plan in biological sex and identity. Come on. There's a design in marriage. God affirms that. God has invented and blessed the differences that we carry. We are equal because we are created in God's image, but there are biological differences. Listen to me. The differences do not limit us. They define us. I can't have a baby. I can be a father, I can't be a mother. I need a spiritual mom in my life or a natural mom in my life. I need natural fathers and spiritual fathers in my life. But these things are, are defining who we are, not, not uh, limiting who we are. Does that make sense? When I got saved, I had a spiritual father. He spoke to me in one way. He fathered the masculinity in me. I had a spiritual mother. She spoke to the masculinity in me in a different way and, and, and challenged me. So I needed both, right? I mean, my son had a football game the other night. And the next day, he's got this big, my wife's sitting right there. The next day, he's got this giant bruise down the side of his face. And my wife calls me in the living room. She's like, baby, he's got a bruise down the side of his face. I was like, well, he should. He played football yesterday. <laughs> he should. You know, and so, and so there's just this, there, but that, there's this difference. She mothered him in a way, and I fathered him in a way. And, and it, again, it's not bad. And I'm, I'm tired of us trying to assassinate each other because we think we're missing some trait that we should learn from from the other. God gave us those traits in each other, so love learns. It doesn't, as a dad, it doesn't mean, well, I'm never going to be empathetic or I don't care about that. No, I need to look at what God put in my wife, and if I'm actually going to be a godly leader, I need to learn. And she learns from me, and we learn from each other. So, so modern gender theory says that anatomy is the only difference in men and women. That that's it, anatomy. And, and, then it, and then it teaches that gender is a socially constructed idea in order to make men and women want different things. And so, you know, 
I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's biological differences that God gave us. And I would just, for, for argument's sake, we can go to the Nordic countries right now. It's the most equal in every way you can imagine. Finland, Sweden, Norway, it's the most equivalently equal you can ever imagine. Do you know if the studies have shown that it's more so than ever men and women want different things in that culture? It's, it, they've leveled the playing field as best as possible, and men and women still want different things more than ever in that culture. It just proves that we want different things. It's not, it's not a bad thing. Like right now, 80% of veterinarians are women. Why? I just, there's something about it. They like to be veterinarians. I, I don't hear often, again, I don't hear often, the garbage women are coming on Wednesday. Again, again, listen to me. Some of y'all are getting mad right now. Hear me. You can be a garbage woman. That's fine. There's just not a lot of applications for it. And so the point is, like, we can't go everything equal. We're going to have 50% of garbage collections going to be women. Like, well, we're not getting any apps for it. It's, it's just proving, and, and again, this isn't to limit what, what a woman or man can do. You can do it if you, you can do anything, right? But, but there's just differences in what we want. And I know there's exceptions, and come on, I, I mean, I'm not... I'm making an extreme argument here, but there's exceptions to that, obviously. But if you look at the generalization of that, we just, we want different things. Again, we can't completely remove biological assignment and, and flatten out society and say, we just, everybody wants the same thing. It's just not true. So it doesn't mean uh, that we don't have different giftings. Let me say this. Most women I've met in church, like in the church world, they operate with a much keener sense of prophetic insight than men. They do. They have the gift of prophecy in a greater way. They have, they have the gift of empathy. They have the gift of discerning of spirits. I mean, there's this gift that, that women have that men don't even carry in the church in a way. So, so it's just different. I think, again, it's not toxic masculinity or toxic femininity. It's that we begin to celebrate each other. Now, I want to go into the thought about husbands and wives and the roles in marriage. I'm going to go to Ephesians 5, and then I'm going to end with Paul talking about can women teach or preach in church. Try to give you a picture. I've got a few minutes, so are y'all sticking with me? Ephesians 5, through 24 says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so, we can't just, it's like, we don't want to talk about that. Like, I guess we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so we want to, like, we can't ignore that, okay? Now, Ephesians 5.21, and I, I've kind of been off and learned a little bit in this in the last, you know, year of my life. Just, you know, there is a verse that says, submit one to another. And so there's this mutual submission. Paul in 21 is making commentary on a long list of submission that he lists out through Ephesians 5.20. He says, hey, younger, you know, younger people submit to elders. You know, women submit to these, these uh, teachers, you know, your elderly women. Young men submit to the older men. You know, it ta- he, Paul gives this list of who to submit to, and then in 5.21 he summarizes and says, hey, submit one to another. Everybody I've told you just in that list, submit to each other. And then in verse 21 or 25, or 22, excuse me, 23, says, now wives, he talks about marriage. Submit to your husbands. As, unto, as, the, as Christ is the head of church, husband's the head of the wife. So he gives this talking about submitting to husbands. And then in verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Come on, somebody. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So, so we're getting this picture of marriage. And if you, if you want to know, if some, some of you ladies are upset about that verse, there's about five to one of what the man's supposed to do versus what the woman's supposed to do. Come on, guys. We, there's like five to one of what we're called to have to do in this verse. So we like to just say, oh, you got to submit. No, no, you have five more things to do than what she's called to do. But what it's saying is, hey, wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's like he has to remind husbands, hey, tough guy, learn. Hey, tough guy, love. Hey, hey, wives, I know you love him, but I need you to submit to his leadership and respect him. I know he's not perfect, but I, but I need you to kind of to submit to him. I, I, it's going to be better if you'd submit to him. Again, listen to me. This, doesn't, this isn't talking about a role like, okay, you do laundry, you do, you do the food, and, you, and here's your role. It's a biblical role. I will come home from work. I work hard, and then I get home, and you clean the house, and you work hard, and you, here's the biblical role. That is not what this is talking about. This is talking about submitting to his spiritual leadership and to his godly loving leadership. And husbands, if you're an idiot, you read this like, well, what's your role? And this is my, your role, and you got to do this, and I'm going to do this, and here's what you have to do. And No, no, no. This loving, Christian love, loving your wife is saying, you know what? I'm going to make sure she becomes all God's called her to be. I'm going to pour in and love and support and nourish and care for. You know, husbandry is a gardening term. Women aren't called to garden their husbands. We're called to garden our wives, nourish, feed, uh, water, support, love, care for. Is this helping anybody? So ultimately, it's talking about spiritual leadership and, and, and connection that way. It's not talking about, oh, this is your role, and you do this, and you do that. Let me, let me go to Genesis uh, 3.16. This is part of the curse. Men were cursed with the sweat of their brow. You shall work by the sweat of your brow. You shall toil, and the ground will produce thorns and thistles. That's part of the sin curse. And so thank God Jesus reversed that. We can be blessed. We can look to him for provision. But part of the curse on women was this. I will greatly multiply your sorrow at your conception. And conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Listen to this. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So that's all curse. None of that's good, right? So if you really get into the translation of that, it means that her desire is going to be for his headship, his authority as the leader. And he's going to rule over her and dominate her. So basically in the curse, we're seeing it still play out in society right now. That both are going to try to dominate one another. But in Christ... We get a picture in Ephesians of how to love and submit and surrender and cherish and nurture. We're called to live prophetically, guys. We're not called to live by culture. We're called to live prophetically. What does living prophetically mean? Just obeying the scriptures. I'm called, you, when you obey the scriptures, you live a prophetic life that points a picture of who Christ is to a world that's seeking and lost and dying. And I know they want us to adopt all this, what they think is what's moral and ethical and all what's, what's equal. That's not what we're going to adopt. We're going to adopt the Bible. And I, I just think that that's a prophetic life. And so, uh, and then Paul said, listen, he reiterated it again. Hey, wives, submit to your husbands. I mean, you know, it's better when, when, when there's, you know, leadership in the home, when, the, when there's a dad in the house, right? I mean, there's houses without dad, but that's not the example. That's the exemption, right? That's the, 
We don't want that. We, so he's talking about this leadership, but also Paul knows, hey, husbands, love your wives like you love your own body. He gets it. He says, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> what does that mean, like lo- loving your wife like you love your own body? Like let her, like, let her get her way. Like, like you're not, don't have people walk around like eggshells. We don't walk around like on eggshells around Christ. You know, everybody says, well, the home is the man's castle. Yeah, until mama gets home. Paul's no dummy. I mean, it's like the neck turns the head, right? It's like, we, we get it. Like, Paul's like, hey, you know, care for your wife. And, I mean, if you look at Proverbs 31 woman, that's no picture of oppression. She's doing business. She's buying stuff, selling fields, ba- you know, building stuff, going into the city gates, doing business on her husband's behalf. She, she's bringing honor to the name, to the house, to the family. I mean, it's not oppression. It's beautiful. Like, there's this, this unity. So it's the two shall become one. Husbands, he says, you know, love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Now, this is the whole point of the question. Y'all ready? I got a few minutes to give it to you. And I'm going to, I pray to God today. I believe if some of you will just take what I'm saying today, take Ephesians chapter five. If you would take, if your marriage is hurting, this is what I need to do anytime anybody comes for marriage counseling. I need to say, have you, have you prayed and fasted and read Ephesians five for a month straight? What I would encourage you to do if you really need restoration from God Pray and fast, get Ephesians 5, sit across from it, and let the husband read his role and let the wife read her role and do that for a month and watch what God does. So, so he says this in 1 Timothy, it's talking about teaching. Let women learn in silence with all submission. It means in peace. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in, to, but to be in silence, for Adam was not... For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, wholeness, and self-control. Odd scripture. Okay, so everybody likes to say, women are allowed to teach, but then they're like, but she's saved in childbearing. We don't, we don't really hold to that. Like, what? What does that mean? I think that scripture has a couple of theological implications. I think it means like, like through Christ and bearing the child of the Savior, there's salvation in that, but but there's a lot of different interpretations. But, but what Paul's doing here, let me give you a basis. What Paul's doing here is he's being, a, he's being harsh. And he's overcorrecting some abuses in the culture. And so what was happening in culture was this. There was a, a Diana was the worship. And everyone believed that Diana was a huntress. And that they believed she was born first. That's what they taught. There was a cult worship called Diana. And Diana was being worshipped. And so Paul, in this, he goes back to, to creation. He goes, hey, Adam was made first, not Eve. And so he begins to go back and, and attack this cult of, of, of this female worship in this society. And so he's dealing with the church, and he says, hey, let me just redemptively share. And he goes, hey, I, I, don't, I forbid a woman to try to grab all the authority and to run things in the home and church. I don't want her to try to snatch and run every and, and run things. I, 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 he's talking governmentally here. So hear me. There, there's this governmental setting as he's talking to. This is a, a, a letter to pastors and to elders. He's setting governmental. Doesn't mean you they can't teach ever because you got Joyce Meyer, you got Priscilla Shire, you got amazing women preachers and teachers. This is governmental. So he goes on. He says, "I don't want it to be like this. I want you to live prophetically." First Corinthians 14. I'm going to give you a few verses. On this topic, 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 35. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your, women keep, be, be, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, 
obviously this is ridiculous, this is cultural, and I'm going to explain why. But they are to be submissive or peaceable, as the law also says. And if anyone, if you want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So, so we obviously know that's ridiculous. Like that's, it's, it's not, we can talk in church, all of us, all right? Um, what's happening here in this day, all the men sat on one side of the room, all the women sat on the other side of the room. And there was a divide. And obviously in culture, there wasn't a lot of education and opportunities for women that day. It was just a, a not, not a great culture. For, and and so, so in church, they were divided. And what two, theologians believe, two things were happening. Either all the women were chattering and talking in church, and it was already a little chaotic. He's like, hey, don't, let's don't do that. Or they were shouting over to their husbands that had more education and were saying, hey, what's going on? What are they teaching right now? So there was some torp, sort of disturbance. That is not what... Timothy's talking about, about women teaching and preaching. So that's more of just a cultural thing. We know that that's different in today's age. We all sit together, we talk, we shout, and we scream. Some of y'all are mad at me right now and you want to scream, but it's okay. This is the Bible. So, th- so then here's the verse I want to land on about teaching and preaching. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 2-5, this is the passage. Paul says this in 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The word head is catholo. It, there's, there's 50 uses in extra-biblical historian documents. Every time it means authority. Every time it means who's in charge. Every time it means organizational authority. For the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as having her head shaved. And so listen to this language. It says, it's talking about the head of, the head of, the head of, the head of. There's, there's a covering. Paul's addressing here cultural attire. And, and he's saying, hey, when you're preaching and prop, praying and prophesying, wear the right clothing. So he's, he's talking about clothing for a minute. There was cults of the day that wear different things. He's saying, don't distract. If we wear a bikini to church, it's distracting. Come on. But you can wear it to the beach and it's fine. I can wear a kilt up here and it would be a little distracting to you, right? But if I wore it in Scotland, it might be okay. He, Paul's just saying, wear, don't distract when you're preaching and praying. But what you got to see in verse 5, he says, for every man with his head covered is dishonoring when he prays and preaches, but every woman when her head is uncovered is dishonoring when she prays or preaches. What you have to see is women are praying and preaching. They're praying and prophesying. And so in that scripture and in that verse, it shows us that men and women alike can preach, pray. I believe prophesying is preaching and praying is prophesying. Is that, so, so that verse right there shows us, and that's Paul addressing the public use of preaching and teaching. Now again, in the context, every head is covered. What, what does that mean? I have a covering. I have a people over me that cover me. Christ, and I have a authority over me. So any woman or man that preaches in this church, I'm the cover-up. And so whether, whether they're prophesying, preaching, teaching, pastoring, leading, my wife's a lead pastor with me, but, but I'm her cover. Do, I, do, we, do we go around and say that? Like, oh, like I'm her, I, you know. No, we're not weird about it. We just live. She loves me. She's submitted to my leadership. And when I'm acting like an idiot, she tells me. And I, lo- and I love her and I learn from it, right? There's mutual. It's biblical. And, and so what, what, let me just say this again, because I don't, I want y'all to hear me. I'm going to, why? Why? I have no idea. It's a mystery. 
It's a prophetic mystery. Oh, well, it's because men are better leaders by 22.75% and da-da-da-da. No, I know some men that are idiots that don't lead well in a lot of stuff. I've been there myself. It's not because of any of that. It's because the Bible says it. And I just, I'm just going to believe the Bible. I don't understand it. But I promise you, some of your marriages would be healed if you would just decide to believe and live the Bible. So, so me as, quote, unquote, the dad, every house needs a dad. Every house needs a mom. The Bible talks about the covering. Every covering of man is Christ. Every covering of, so there's covering. A cover. So anybody that does anything here is covered. How many of you know? I said it earlier. It's good when a father's in the house. Just like a home needs a father, a church needs a father. You got, and, and listen, a society's missing it. And, and, and just because a father is absent doesn't mean it's the example. When he's absent, you feel the pain. You feel the brokenness. You feel societal decay. You feel the, the, the ramifications in our world. And you can, run every, you can run every statistic. Look at incarceration. Look at all of it. And the father being absent is one of the number one issues in our planet. And if that's the same for the home, wouldn't it be the same for God's house? And so I just want to encourage you today. Here, I, I just wrote a, here's, here's some quick thoughts and I'm going to be done. I'm going to pray for you. I pray that if you're mad at me, you go read the scriptures and I, I just I pray for you. I really do. I'm not trying to prove anything. I, my wife's the first one to tell me when I'm acting stupid. I don't always learn right away because I'm not always loving right away. But then I try to lo- be loving and go, okay, I need to learn this. So someone asked a question like when God took Eve out of Adam with the rib, did he remove all of male's empathy and, and compassion and all this stuff? Some wife's out there like, what happened to my husband, you know? Like, but there is, there is a reality. Listen, there's a feminine side of God. He made them male and female. El Shaddai is the many-breasted one. It means the all-sufficient one, many-breasted one. That's the one time we get a feminine picture of God in his, in his title. But he is father. And I, and I think when God took female out of male that way and, and created, there was two unique, same species, two unique people, two unique roles two, that we would learn. And, and again, not compete, but complete. Not assassinate each other, but love each other. So quick recap and I'll pray. Women are encouraged to prophesy, pray, preach. And don't distract. Men are encouraged to prophesy, preach, pray, and don't distract. Men and women are to be conscious of clothing and appearance. Women and men are encouraged to learn about God always. Husbands are to take an active role of spiritual leadership, not like, oh, you do the dishes and you do. No, no. Spiritual leadership and teaching in marriage in the home. There's not to be conflict between men and women. Men and women must maintain the differences between the sexes. God created them this way. Peter talks to men and women different. Paul talks different. Pagan culture says a lot about these things, but Paul and Peter say, look to the Bible and the scriptures to learn. God calls women with gifts for the growth and success of the church. God has many women in leadership positions in the New Testament. They're deacons. Chloe was a house pastor. Priscilla and Aquila were church planters, and they laid hands on Apollos, and he received the Holy Spirit. Uh, Philip's four daughters were prophets all through the Scriptures. Incredible giftings. This stuff I'm talking about is a mystery. 
Men aspiring to leadership must be humble and not self-willed, and same with women. No place for male chauvinism or misogyny or harmful feminism in church that character assassinates the opposite sex. We're going to come together and express the giftings and callings in a unique way, the way God created us, so that men and women and families and children and people that are out in the world so confused trying to figure out how it's supposed to be can come into a prophetic environment and actually become all God created them to become. I love you. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We give you glory and honor today. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that your word would just be your word, that we don't, we don't have all the answers. Some of this is a mystery. I pray for anyone that's struggling today, maybe, or in their marriage. I pray for restoration. I pray for healing. I pray for a prophetic church and prophetic lives that are based on your truth and your word. We give you all the glory and honor and praise today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. Listen, real quick, before you go, if you need prayer today, maybe you just need help with your marriage or prayer for anything. Maybe you just need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. Our our ministry team's going to be down here and linger down here after service. You can come down here and get prayer. God might want to do something in your marriage right now or in your life. And then then real quick, we don't, uh, if you're a first-time guest, can you give, give those guys a hand real quick? Look. This is a little different, it's a little different flow than what we usually do. Usually I'm preaching a little bit thematic and things like that. This is a lot different, but thanks for joining us and hanging out. I hope you learned something today. We got a gift for you. And then we don't pass buckets here. We give as we go. So y'all have a great day. Love y'all so much. Next week's going to be better in Jesus' name. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.